So let's stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be in Genesis, Hebrews 11, and in Matthew as well. Genesis chapter six, verses nine through 22. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 550 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, flesh in which is the breath, breath of life under heaven. Everything is on the earth, everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to, to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Hebrews 11:7. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of their righteousness that comes by faith. Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving, giving and marrying, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your holy word. We're thankful for the elders of this church, and the deacons of this church, the lay leaders, the members, the children, those teaching Sunday school, holding babies in the nursery, teaching our youth and children right now, leading adult communities. Thankful, Father for this body. We're thankful, Lord, that we, we stand up for your holy word, that we don't stand in this pulpit proclaiming something that is not from you. And we confess, Lord, that unless the Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts and minds, we won't think correctly about this. We'll either err on the side of self-righteousness or we will simply not submit to who you are and what you've called us to be. And Lord, 
It is a battle. It's a battle of the spirit and flesh. But it's a battle that if we're in you, you have already won. We are justified by faith. It is by grace we have been saved. And by your grace, Lord, we are being sanctified, making you making us more and more like Jesus, even enabling us to sing and pray more love to thee. Oh Lord, I pray that you would bless our time in the Holy Word now. Change us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. There are five times that I entered into a conversation about what our baby's nursery should look like. The first was the most intense. We didn't know if we were having a girl or a boy, so my wife suggested that we needed somewhat of a neutral theme. My wife loves children's literature, really longs to write children's books, probably one day will. And she loved old nursery rhymes, neutral enough. We had a girl that fit perfect. Then we had another girl, fit good, recycle. And then we had a boy. Now it's my turn. What will it look like? And I begin to look at different themes. Fireman won. Because I always wanted to be a fireman. I still do. I really do. There's nothing like riding around in one of those huge apparatus, code three, sirens blaring, cars moving out of the way. I've done it. I hadn't driven. I hope to drive one day, but it's awesome. So he put a fire, fireman theme in his room. There was one theme that always caught my attention. I thought it was interesting. And I don't mean to offend anybody who used this theme because I don't think it's wrong. But I remember seeing Noah's Ark as a baby theme and thinking, it's not a really pretty story. It's actually really dark. And if we were to paint the whole picture in a child's nursery, they would have nightmares every night of their life. Now, some of you are going, oh, that hurts my feelings. We did Noah. Listen, you couldn't do Noah. You should do Noah. And you shouldn't put the dark stuff there. My point isn't to say it's a silly theme. It is to say that we focus, just as we did this morning, on pictures that look like this, which are sweet and beautiful to children, and they should be. Because what they're symbolizing is the reality that a flood came and that a rainbow followed. That the Lord in His covenant promised to care for His people, to save a people. And it's beautiful. And we should have pictures like this. In nurseries, in Sunday school classes, down children, children's wings. Just like this. But at some point, our children have to grow to understand the whole story. I was struck by a Playmobil advertisement for a Noah's Ark toy. The panel on the side of the toy said, your child can reenact the story of Noah with this fun, colorful, take along ark. The only thing missing was bodies that had drowned everywhere. It's dark, isn't it? If we don't see the darkness, of what happened, we can't appreciate the righteousness of God and the mercy of God. God wiped out every living creature except those he called into the ark. It was far more like that Christmas tsunami than it was anything else that we might think of. It was the 
roaring floods of this spring and the spring before, wiping out houses and families being scattered. It's dark. Michelangelo, in the Sistine Chapel, if you're to walk in and your eyes go up as they should, the first thing you're gonna see is the three panels of Noah. The first panel, the drunkenness of Noah. He wasn't a perfect man. The second panel, the flood. And the third panel, the sacrifice of Noah. Literally Noah there overseeing the sacrifice of an animal thanking God. The flood scene is dark. It's not like this. The flood scene is dark because there you see a people that has been described in Genesis as, as pagan, as, as people that were not walking after the Lord. Very, very heinous. God-haters. Unrighteous. And whom we will once be called later in the Gospels, all of us are unrighteous. There's no one who is righteous. No, not one. But as you see them, as Michelangelo painted them, they don't look that dark. Instead, they look like people who love one another as children are clinging to their mother's legs, as a husband carries his wife on his back, as every person in the scene is moving towards higher ground. Why? Because the water that God has sent is rising. God's judgment and his wrath is coming. And there's the ark in the distance. And the people, the remnant that God would save, moving into the ark. That is what happened. This morning as we unpack this story, I'm gonna give you three headings. For those who wanna take notes, this is for you. First, God revealed his word to Noah. Secondly, Noah responded to God's word. And thirdly, Noah received righteousness. That's the outline. But I wanna begin by asking you to go into the story, go deeper into the story. Nobody in here has never heard of Noah. There are parts of the world where they haven't, but this is not one of those parts. Go into the story for a moment. Think about it. Noah received the word from the Lord, and the word came to Noah as a warning. I included Genesis 6 here this morning because these are the specific details from God's own mouth that he gave to Noah. He told Noah in the form of a warning that I am going to destroy the earth. I'm going to wipe out every living creature except for those that come to the ark and your family. That's it. That's what we believe. That's what we believe the word of God to say. And so Noah hears that word. And then God in his specific revelation, this is what the word of God is, Gives, uh, gives Noah the, the specific instructions as to how he's to build the ark. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. This is a real human being. He is a human being that has been cursed with the fall of humankind, the same sin that you and I've been cursed with. He is a righteous man, and what righteousness means here is it's relative righteousness. He's not perfect. There's only one perfect man, that's Jesus. But compared to those around him, Noah is a man walking with God. The same description that we saw last week that was given to Enoch, he walked with God, is the same description given to Noah. The only two places in the whole Bible where it says it just like that. Noah walked with God, Noah loved God, and Noah had God's word revealed to him. His word was in the form of warning, 
And then it was specific in terms of what God wanted Noah to do. So here's Noah called to build this ark. God gives him the specific dimensions of what this was to look like. Now think about Noah for a minute. What was going on in his heart and mind? You want me to build this ark? You're going to wipe out the world, except for my family and the animals that you bring. What all went on in his heart and mind as he picked up his tools and went to, to fall that first tree? What was it like when it came tumbling down? And what was it like when the last one dropped? For 120 years, these are real years, Noah labored to build that ark. What was it like day after day getting up and going to work? And his work was to obey what God called him to do. His work to, was, to, was to obey that word that the Lord had revealed to him. Think about that. 120 years of hammering. 120 years of planing, of sanding, of slapping stuff on that would keep the ark afloat. 120 years of people walking by, watching this massive structure, by far the biggest structure they had ever seen. And it's going up, one plank at a time. Imagine the mockery. Imagine the times that people, especially initially, just began to rib him, and then he kept at it and he kept at it. He's insane. He's irresponsible. He's destroying this part of the earth. It had to be a massive amount of wood. The ark was a football and a half length. It was three stories high. You could take our sanctuary because of this pitch, flip it upside down, and all of this and all of us would fit into the ark with room to spare. The top deck, 20 basketball courts. Remarkable. And Noah built it all. Why? Because he heard the word of the Lord. God's word had been revealed to him. Well, God's word had been revealed to Adam and Eve too, remember? And the first question of the Bible was a question from Satan to Eve about God's word. Did God really say? I don't know if Adam, I'm sorry, Noah ever wondered, did he really say? I don't know. It doesn't tell us he did. It just says he was a righteous man who walked with God. But he was called to an incredible task. The word of God was clear. The special revelation was clear. And then we have Noah's response. He responded to the word. He, the word tells us, obeyed God. Verse 22 of chapter 6, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. He responded. But Hebrews 11 tells us how he responded. Did you notice what it said? Go back to Hebrews 11:7. By faith, so it's all about faith. Noah, being warned by God, that's the word of God being revealed, concerning events as yet unseen, that's why faith was required, in reverent fear, 
So under the category of Noah responded to God's word, I wanna talk about reverent fear and radical obedience. Reverent fear. We don't have much of that in the church. Not just this church, capital C. Reverent fear means that Christians, as Christians, secure and safe in our assurance, saved by the blood and righteousness of Jesus, we are so secure. There's nothing that can rip us from the hand of God. You, if you're in Christ, have salvation. It's promised for all eternity. But there is missing in most churches a real sense of awe and wonder and reverent fear of who God is, what He is doing, what He is still to do, what He has called us to do. Noah responded to God's specific revelation with reverent fear. Think about what he heard. Noah, you and your family and the animals I bring to you are going to be safe. But because of the condition of this world, the way this world grieves my heart, I'm wiping it out. Think about that. Every person that Noah saw every day while he's building the ark, he knew they were doomed. They may die before the flood would come, but he knew that they would be under the wrath of God. That's dark. Noah knew something about this awesome God, this terrifying God, this perfect, righteous, holy God. And he responded in reverent fear. Christians, we do not need to be afraid of God in the sense that He will do something to us that's outside of His character or that He has told us a lie and one day it will be a big surprise and we actually don't have the assurance of salvation. But all people, Christian and non-Christian, must live in the reverent fear and awe of who God is, especially Christians. Because through his specific revelation, we are able to see more and more of who he is, which ought to create in us not a more casual relationship, but a greater sense of, I can't believe I'm secure in him, especially when I begin to understand more of who he is. He isn't just a little righteous. He isn't just a little holy. He is perfect in every aspect. His strength, his power, his wisdom, his knowledge, his presence. So Noah, in hearing the special revelation from God about what God wanted him to do, responded. And he responded in reverent fear. I wanna read a, a pretty lengthy quote to you from a book called Dangerous Wonder, written by Mike Iaconelli, who was the founder of Youth Specialties, came out of Young Life, started a ministry called Youth Specialties, which at that time, and probably still is, the leading trainer and producer of youth ministry curriculum all over the world. Each year when he was still alive, thousands of youth workers would gather at Youth Specialties conventions to hear speakers pointing them to Jesus, talking to them about how to do youth ministry. Mike Iaconelli was not afraid to be provocative, his theology would not always line up with mine for sure, but he loved the Lord. And he began to see, and this is probably 15 years ago, that the church really lacks this reverent fear of God. So I'm gonna read some things to you that I think you'll find very encouraging, very challenging, and some of you are actually are gonna say, I don't like that, but you'll need to wrestle with it. 
Here's what he writes. The tragedy of modern faith is that we no longer are capable of being terrified. It's actually not true, is it? I talk to people who are terrified every day. They're just not terrified of God. They're terrified of our country's projection. They're terrified of what's going on in the world. They're terrified of terror. He writes on, the tragedy of modern faith is that we're no longer capable of being terrified. What I mean is we aren't afraid of God. We aren't afraid of Jesus. We aren't afraid of the Holy Spirit. Now you might be thinking we're not supposed to be. Listen, he's talking about the reverence of, and all that we have towards God, not the relationship that we have with him. He knows that that relationship is close and it's intimate and we're told to call the father Abba, which means daddy. But even in that relationship, we must understand that he is the perfect father, awe-inspiring, okay? So keep that in mind. We aren't afraid of God. We aren't afraid of Jesus. We aren't afraid of the Holy Spirit. As a result, we have ended up with a need-centered gospel that attracts thousands but transforms no one. What happened to the bone-chilling earth-shattering, gut-wrenching, knee-knocking, heart-stopping, life-changing fear that left us speechless, paralyzed, and helpless. And otherwise, as God got bigger, we came to the end of ourselves and we're like, he's awesome and he's in me. What happened to those moments when you and I would open our Bibles and our hands started shaking because we were afraid of the truth we might find there. I would guess that your hands may have never shaked. I'm not sure mine have or shook. Joe Novenson preaches regularly at Lookout Mountain Press, and he's been in this pulpit. And each time he was here, the search committee who was looking hard at Joe and loved Joe noticed his hands shake especially before he preaches. It's his temperament, it's his personality, but it's really born out of a sense of, I am handling the word of God. Now I'm gonna tell you, though you might not see my hand shaking, or Pete's hand shaking, or Chad, or Paul, or when Skip was preaching from this pulpit, you might not have seen the hand shaking, but there was a sense of reverent fear, and there is. This is the word of God. This is not some book of poems and a neat aspect of history and allegory that we've made up. This is the Word of God. And in the letter of Hebrews beyond or before chapter 11, it says, it is sharper than a double-edged sword. This is His Word. Those who are going to teach it better be careful. You'll be judged more strictly. This is awesome because it reveals the one through special revelation that is awesome. We've become too casual, haven't we? Checking boxes quickly as we read through things devotionally. My friends, when you open the Word of God, you are reading the Word that the Holy Spirit carried men along to write. Yacanelli continues, we are afraid of other things, unemployment. We're afraid of our cities. We're afraid of the collapse of our government. We're afraid of not being fulfilled, but we are not afraid of God. I would like to suggest, this is what I want you to hear, that the church become 
a place of terror again. A place where God continually has to tell us, fear not. A place where our relationship with God is not a simple belief or doctrine or theology or program. It is God's burning presence in our lives. This is awesome. I am suggesting that the tame God of relevance be replaced by the God whose very presence shatters our egos into dust. We worry so much about what people think, don't we? We're so afraid of the opinions of others. People are big and God is small. I am suggesting that the tame God of relevance be replaced by the God whose very presence shatters our egos into dust, burns our sin into ashes, and strips us naked to reveal the real person within. That's the church. The church needs to become a gloriously dangerous place where nothing is safe in God's presence except us. Nothing, not our agendas, not our plans, not our priorities, not our politics, not our money, our security, our comfort, our possessions, our needs. Nothing is safe in his presence, except us. And we are. Do you know why we are? Because of what happened to Noah. Noah heard the word of God revealed. He obeyed the word of God, this radical obedience. He did everything that God said out of a reverent fear and awe. And what did he receive? He received or became, as Hebrews 11 says, an heir of righteousness. Okay, I want to focus here for a minute as we close. Noah was described in Genesis after the world had been described so dark and so broken as a righteous man. The righteousness that's being talked about here is a bit different. The preacher of this letter, of this sermon to this people called Hebrews, says that he became an heir of righteousness. What that means is there was a righteousness that was rewarded to Noah that was not a righteousness that was his own. It was a righteousness that was given to him as he had faith in the one promised righteous one, Jesus, who would come. Jesus is the only perfect human being. He was 100% God, 100% man. He is 100% God, 100% man. He is our righteous redeemer. He doesn't possess just a little bit more righteousness than you and I. He doesn't possess just a little bit more than the common man or even godly man. He has no faults. There is no blemish. And what this means is that the righteousness that this preacher is talking about is a righteousness that was imputed to Noah. 
It is a righteousness, the same righteousness that is imputed to every person who is justified by faith. In other words, saved by faith. It is a righteousness that literally is Christ's perfect life, his perfect death, his perfect reign, his perfect resurrection. It's his perfect righteousness credited to us. In other words, when God looks at us who are in Christ, he, the Father, sees Jesus. It's Jesus's scorecard that matters, not ours. My best day multiplied times infinity would never be good enough. But God the Father is not justifying me based on my scorecard. He's basing my salvation on Christ. Listen to how John Bunyan described this when the Lord revealed to him. John Bunyan is the one who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And one day when he's in a field just meditating upon the word of God, this is what happened to him. He says, one day as I was passing into the field, this sentence fell upon my soul. That's a great phrase, isn't it? This sentence from God, from his holy word, it fell upon my soul. The sentence is this, thy righteousness, in other words, my righteousness is in heaven. And I saw with the eyes of my soul, Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There I say was my righteousness. It was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself. He's perfectly righteous. There's no fault, none. And then Bunyan writes, Jesus, my righteousness, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then he says, now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. You know, when we think about the world and we think about this call towards righteousness, it's easy to see the world that is not righteous, much like the world that was dark in Noah's time. But you know we might miss another side of something that's unrighteous, and that's people who are self-righteous. That's people who are seeking to be righteous in and of themselves by their own attitudes, their own looking at other people, seeing themselves as superior, their own sense of, if I just get more of this you know, holiness in me, then I'm gonna be accepted by God. That's heinous too to God. Those people were the ones Jesus rebuked constantly in the New Testament. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders. You see, Jesus alone is righteous. And when we come to saving faith in Christ, it's his righteousness that covers us. So you know what can be said about us? is because we're in Jesus, we're covered by his righteousness. The Father sees us as righteous. You know what that means? That means that the reverent fear that I was just talking about should be all the greater, not less. 
If your thought is, well, if I'm already seen as righteous by God, then I can do whatever I want. If that really is the mentality by which you're living, I doubt you're truly saved. Because when you understand the righteousness that Noah was an heir of, and that we are heirs of, that's already covering us, it is only by grace that you have been given it. It is only by grace that God saved Noah too. That symbol, it was a real ark, but that symbol for what it, is, what it means for all Christianity is amazing. Christ is the one to whom we come into. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Between now and the time we who are in Christ go to eternity, whether he calls us home or returns, we're safe in Jesus, no matter how dark the world gets. Last thing I want to say, this isn't the first time a message like this was proclaimed from this pulpit or any pulpit. It won't be the last. Do you know that Moses was called a preacher of righteousness? It's in 2 Peter chapter 2. But guess what? We have no recorded sermon. There's no text that says this is what Moses preached. But you know what I think his sermon was? 120 day, years. 120 years of reverent fear doing all that God commanded him. That was his sermon. And the preacher of Hebrews says it condemned the world. Near the end of his earthly life, in Matthew, is where it's recorded this morning for us, Jesus tells us, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That means the return of Christ. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Most, all but Noah and his family, mocked Noah's ark. They mocked the thought that God would wipe them out. And most today mock the thought that Jesus is going to return. I don't, because I believe he will. I know he will. I don't know when, though, and neither do you. Those who have received his righteousness, who are safe in Christ Jesus, who have been saved from their sin, you are safe for all eternity. If you have never acknowledged your sin and need for Jesus, may the Lord have mercy on you even this morning and cause you to say, I need him. I want him. I want to follow him. Come to saving faith, even as I close this in prayer. The righteousness of Christ is like a flood. It is like a flood because in order for that perfect Savior to be our Savior, He had to undergo another flood. 
And the flood that he had to go under on Golgotha was the flood of God's wrath again. But this time, instead of wiping out the whole earth with water, the Father sent his wrath upon the Son. He sent his wrath towards every sin you and I and every person have ever committed or ever will commit. And it was laid on Jesus. And near the end of his life, just before he breathed his last, he said, it is finished. And he breathed his last. Christ Jesus, the righteous one who never sinned, who did not deserve that wrath, went into the tomb, taken there, buried. Three days later, his righteousness wins. The power, this resurrection power of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And he's there no more. He walked up on the earth a little while longer, and then those men watched him ascend into heaven, where now he reigns at the right hand of God Almighty, the Father. And he's coming again. And when he does, every knee, believer and unbeliever, will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know what? If you're in Christ, the song we're about to sing is for you. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. I am my Savior's. Is that true of you? I pray it is. Let's pray. Jesus, the story of Noah is dark and it's beautiful and it's powerful and it's frightening and it's awful and awesome. You are a merciful God that is perfectly righteous and you have saved your people and you're saving your people. Oh Lord, if there's any here today or those who are listening live stream and they don't know you, have mercy and draw them to yourself even now. They would come and pray to you even now as we close in prayer and singing, asking you to save them. Oh righteous one, we thank you for your mercy. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name, amen.